Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson of The Athletic. It's Thursday, October 14th, and we have a bye week this weekend. And I speak on behalf of any everybody in the media that we like those bye weeks. But then, you know, then you go into next week and it's like you haven't made any ground uh, in a week. You still have six games left. But uh, anyway, looking forward to the second half of the season. Uh, but right now we are going to talk about the first half of the season. And let's start with you, Tim O'Malley. Just some of your impressions. What stands out in your mind about the first six games of 2021? Yeah, I don't think five and one is overly surprising. I did have them in the preseason as six and oh. Um, and I guess I had them, if you go by weekly, I had them six and oh, because I did have them beating Cincinnati and all the other teams. Um, certainly five ones, not a shock though, especially I think it, it kind of crystallized for me even more than the Toledo game where that was too close. You could, as a Notre Dame writer, you've seen enough of those in September. You kind of write off like, ah, they didn't, it was a short week. They didn't prepare the same way. They all kind of admitted they didn't prepare. That Purdue game starts with a run through sack of Jack Cone where they throw him to the ground like a rag doll. And I thought to myself, huh, I guess this offensive line is not going to get that much better. Fortunately, a month later it has. And I think that's the most important part is as grim as it looked, they certainly turned the corner Again, grading on a curve, as Tim Priester has said all season, they certainly turned the corner against Virginia Tech with the offensive line. Yeah, it's like the five and one is not surprising. How they got to five and one is like a bit shocking to me. Um, you know, I I am I would like to see the offensive line turn the corner for more than one game in a row before oh, I say sure. they've turned the corner. Right? Um, you know, they've had one good game out of five, so that that is kind of shocking to me, like how, how poor that they've been over the course of the six games. Um, I think the most interesting thing that has started to bubble up for me, at least in the last two games is the freshman class starting to show something, maybe not like making a huge difference this year, but they're starting to show enough that I believe the staff is as optimistic as they've been in quite some time about like, yep, we've got, sort of the bones of like potentially the next great Notre Dame team two, three years down the road. Um, so that's, that's, I think other than the offensive line being like a, what is going on here? The fact that the freshman class on offense is starting to like really assert itself uh, for the long haul is, is really intriguing to me. The, the true indication of the progress of the offensive line. And, and there's no doubt that what happened against Virginia tech was much needed and refreshing, a refreshing change, but, you know, we could talk about turning the corner. You'd like to see them turn the corner in the ground game with Jack Cohn on the field as opposed to Tyler Buckner, because that's basically what happened. So, you know, that's that that's a bit of a concern. But like, you know, you they're five and one, and three quarterbacks have greatly contributed to five and one. And I know the majority are against Jack Cohn, uh, but he did lead game-winning touchdown drives against Toledo and Virginia Tech. Now, again, he created a lot of those problems. There's there's no doubt about that. But three quarterbacks have actually contributed to victories. And, um, you know, I just don't think that you could have anticipated that. But uh, no doubt, offensive line moving in the right direction. Defensively, it's still big play drives. You know, they've given up. Um, I did a, um, as always, a, a midterm grade on, on uh, you know, all the things that I grade on a weekly basis. And, um, you know, I just, the big plays defensively, they've given up. There's been six drives between 59 and 89 yards, touchdown drives that have taken six plays or less to accomplish. I mean, it's just explosive plays against them. And that started right in the very beginning of the season. So, you know, that's an area that's just is going to have to change in order for them to, we can look at the schedule and say, oh, it's a lot easier, but they could, they're not, they are not consistent enough or good enough to take any game for granted. And I will, yes, I will go ahead and include Navy because they've played really well the last couple of weeks and almost handed SMU their first loss of the season. They came within a touchdown. So Still can't take anything for granted with this team. I, I do like the the uptick that we're seeing in a couple different areas, but um, still have to get a lot better to, to get through the remaining six games. It's, you know, you look at Virginia and what they're capable of doing, throwing the football. They threw it 61 times. 
They were down by 17 to Louisville and came back and won. Um, you know, Stanford, I know they took a step back. Uh, their quarterback finally threw an interception. In fact, he threw three. Um, but still, um, Notre Dame needs to be a lot better to, to do more than win by three or seven points, which in the end of the day is enough because I don't think this is a playoff team. They just need to find ways to win and get their New Year's six-day bowl. I think it's a confusing team because, like, when those drives happen and they're like end of the half to give up a field goal and a touchdown the last two weeks, end of the game when you really need a stop to give up the clinching touchdown and then the go-ahead touchdown. And in between, you get six or seven three-and-outs in a game. Like, they, they have moments where the defense plays really well, too. They've created turnovers more so than last year. They have plenty of three-and-outs. Um, it's strange. It, it's kind of like you mentioned Cone leading two game-winning drives, and he was part of the reason they needed those drives. He was also the MVP of the first game. Like the clear-cut, no doubt, game MVP of the win over Florida State. And then you have Pete's stat that something like 44 of his drives before the Virginia Tech two drives ended in 45 yards or something along those. No, whatever um, that stat was, Pete. It was 40, incredible. It was, he was 44. I can't remember if it was 44 points in 40 drives or 40 points in 44 drives. Was that 40 was points in 44 drives. Started yeah. the Toledo game to when he was benched wow. at Virginia Tech. And then he wins the game. Right. You know, and, prior, and prior to that, he was the MVP. It's a strange season, and I think I guess the defense kind of fits in that because when I kind of made a comment about the defense being the issue in the part of the first half there against Virginia Tech, people really pushing back, like, well, they're on the field the whole time. They're exhausted. Like, it's the first quarter. What do you mean they're on the field the whole time? Like, <laughs> they're, they're, I get – Yeah, and they're I know we all want to give everybody – we like the D, so everybody's like, oh, they'll be fine. I agree they'll be fine, but they weren't for a while on that game. It's You can't keep giving up 29, right? I guess they yeah. give up. 22 in this one, but yeah, it's too sporadic. And Tim, you know, again, in compiling um, the, the midterm grades, I, I, I added up the three, the top three wideouts and the, the number of targets and the number of receptions and it, and combined they're under 50%. And you and I started talking and I said, Hey, what, what was the percentage last year with, with uh, mayor and, and McKinley, or you brought up those two and they, they they caught passes when they were targeted seventy one percent of the time, yeah, that's... which I think which it, it's yeah I mean it speaks to a couple of things. One, Ian Book, who will always be underrated, although the the further he goes you know is away from Notre Dame, the the more he will get the the credit that he deserved. Uh, and it says something about McKinley too, right? I maybe the. Yeah. You know, maybe they didn't target him as much as you normally would a number one receiver, but catching 71% of the targets, I think it speaks highly a book and it speaks high. Mayer is still at 65%, but the three wideouts this year are under 50%. And Skoranek was at 65% too. We didn't even mention that last year. I mean, it's, there's the other one. It's, yeah. But I think that speaks to the offensive line too. It's not just the quarterback and the receivers, it's certainly Jack Cohn not having the time. Tyler Buckner wouldn't be in the game, arguably, much if Jack Cohn had the time. Is that a way of looking at it? If yeah. Jack Cohn simply had the time to throw the Buckner packet, which would be maybe the goal line thing, you know, as opposed to right. we need but to then, find a way to run the ball. But then, you know, part of that is Cohn's issue to stepping up. Sure, he stepped sure. up into he stepped up into a sack. Um, stepped into both of them, it, maybe, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, well, I think it was a Christophic block where, you know. Yeah, I mean, the second one stopped. he stepped into. The first one, like, Joe Walt just. Yeah, won. that's true. Yeah, he got beat by a great, a great player. Handles, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no doubt. Um, Tim, you had a list of, uh, we could take a peek at USC if you guys wanted to. I've started watching them. But you, you had, you were going to ask, you were going to throw out names and we were going to say, top 10 player this year for Notre Dame. Yeah, I think not. it's interesting because I started doing it um, for that, uh, this, the Midway story I did the other the other day and just kind of got it unwieldy. You guys, I was able to get to like 13 or 14 before I could say, eh, that's probably not fair. You know, so I'm going to start saying some names. You guys stop me when you say no. For a yeah, top I have, player. I have 12. Okay, yeah, I did 13. I cheated and did 13 because okay. I thought of a guy that missed two games and I wanted to fit him in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of doing this on the fly, so I may be missing somebody. But uh, okay, There's some so obvious ones. Like it out of the, let, let me get the obvious ones out of the way. Kyle okay. Hamilton, Michael Mayer, Kyron Williams. Hamilton, uh, Mayer, Williams. Yes, we can sure. cross them off and safely yeah. include them in the top 10. Jason Adamiola and Isaiah Foskey. Yep. Agreed, agreed. MTA. 
I would agree. Yes. Bertrand. I would agree with that. Here's where it got interesting with like five guys, six guys. Patterson. Yes, like not yeah. not even in question for me. Not in question for you. Okay. I would I would probably I would maybe even elevate him over Bertrand and MTA. Me too yeah. over Bertrand because Bertrand can struggle, <laughs> but I, I think Bertrand's struggles aren't fair for crying out loud. <laughs> like, like he's out there 72 snaps in a position he's not supposed yeah, to be playing. No question about snaps. it. Yeah. 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 And you know, I, I mean Patterson is we we know that he he, he talent-wise is one of the 10 best. I think a lot of times out there, especially in the first three games, I think, you know, he felt like he was playing a position and a half most of the time, which, you know, I mean, let's face it, when the guards are as leaky as they've they've been, you've got to have the proverbial head on a swivel to make sure that, you know, somebody doesn't uh, sneak through there on on either side of you. So maybe you're playing, I don't know, two and a half positions. All right, uh, Kevin Austin. Yes. Yes, I would agree. So we are at nine, correct? We're at nine, yeah. Now it gets interesting. Cam Hart? Well, what? Uh, oh, I'll throw out the other four. I'll throw out the yeah, other four. Who, who, are my, who are my other options? Yes, Cam exactly. Cam Hart, this is why it was interesting. Cam Hart, Avery Davis. Okay. Drew White. Okay. And then I just put in Kurt Heinisch, even though he missed two games. And I, mean, I came I think, very close to putting in John Gore. <laughs> well, I, I, that's what I was going to say. I would, I would John include John Gore. I, you know, it's very difficult to yeah. – just because 10 is a round number doesn't mean that we have to settle on that. I mean, I think there's there are 12 or 13 that clearly have distinguished themselves. Who in there surprises you? I, I Maybe – we, we know about hard, Hart's right? ability. We knew about Hart's ability, but the fact is now that he has emerged, and I know that he whiffed on a tackle – um, and, and of all the people you do not want to try to tackle with your body, as opposed to wrapping up, it was, it was Blackshear. He's very, yeah, very so difficult to bring down. I guess on the podcast, the, um, inside the garage podcast. Right. Yeah. I listened to that. It was good. He, uh, he said, cause I thought he was maybe afraid of targeting at the last second. Like he was going for the blow up hit. It was half of that. He was going for the hit and then he realized it's third down. I just got to make this tackle. And then it all fell apart on him. He like tried to do two things at once, and then all the, and then it became bad. <laughs> it was all that happened. So I can see that. Happening. Yeah, but Hart's a good call for the surprise, though, because before the season, even August camp, no matter what anybody said to you, if I said top ten is Cam Hart in it after six games, I don't think we would have said yes. I agree. I mean, I agree with that, and I and I think that uh, you know I don't want to say Davis is a surprise. Uh, you know, but I, but I don't think that the expectations were really, really high for him, at least on the outside. I, yeah. I don't certainly on the I inside. Think, no, I, I think on the inside, I don't think expectations were very high either. Well, I say that from the set, uh, there's so many players that, that love and respect him. His yeah. name comes up. Yeah. Defensive players bring up his name. Uh, which is as key, far as, which is important. yeah. I, I mean, as far as like, uh, I don't know productivity. Why I don't understand why you say that, Pete. I mean, you don't. You didn't. Well, think, no. It's like when you yeah. ask coaches about how's this offense going to work. It was Mayor, Williams, Austin, Tyree, yeah, and then like maybe Avery Davis. Okay, it was so, never Avery Davis. Like the fact that Avery Davis and Kevin Austin have the same basically identical stat, stat lines, but that's good. Well, I don't think that was something that the coaching staff was, thought was going to play out it was austin was going to be great and davis was going to be complimentary that would kind of lead us to the next question who has to join this list because isn't it tyree or the quarterback well i mean number one on <laughs> on your wish list would be the quarterback um but remember you could be good without your quarterback ranking the top 10 i heard that somewhere this offseason there's no <laughs> I've said that. He's right around there, right around 16. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. O'Malley, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, Chris Tyree, if healthy, would be the next guy you think could make a more of an offensive impact, right? Because the line well, blocks a little now. And you, yeah, and you, uh, yeah, I, you know, and you'd love to see, um, you know, it was a small sample size against Virginia Tech. It was just two catches, but you'd love to see Lindsey continue to build on on that. I mean, if, you know, if Lindsay could become a guy that you're counting on for that, you're getting, you know, three or four 
catches on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, you know, now you're, now you're going to open some things up in the, in the passing game. I think you made a good point. Go ahead. We go out in the top 10. That happened. I think we'd be talking about a totally different feel for the second half of the season. Yeah. Hey, real quickly, before we jump into segment two, uh, just a, these are a couple of notes that I've jot, jot, uh, jotted down on USC. Um, Drake London is undefendable. I mean, he, 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 he'll find every seam in a zone and you can't stop him one-on-one. And when Slovis has time to throw, he's pretty good. They have complimentary receivers in Bryant and Washington. They did have a receiver trig that hurt his knee that I believe is going to be out for Notre Dame. Yeah, there's still there's just there's still talent there, but they're so undisciplined. 10, 10 penalties, 12 penalties. Um, you know, they really haven't their 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 stats against the pass have been bad. They're only 95th in sacks. Um, it's still a really talented football team, but man, defensively, the breakdowns occur on a regular basis. And that's with Foreman and Jackson, um, part DN, part outside linebacker. I think those those two guys are NFL talent. So they have talent there, but they're still undisciplined. And uh, you know, they, they're capable, they're gonna put up some points. Yeah. They've, you know, they they they're capable of doing that. If Slovis has time, they'll they'll put up some points. But man, defensively, and that and that's where you're concerned about Nordane because just how capable is Nordane offensively over the course of 60 minutes? Maybe it could get better as the second half progresses, but they're probably gonna need that against USC. Well, segment two, uh, oh, segment right. two coming up. Mm, sorry. No, we could. Jack, don't stop the recording. Let's finish. Go ahead, Pete. No, I was just saying, I mean, the fact that Drake Jackson left the Utah game in a walking boot is probably really significant news for Notre Dame. Yeah. Because where, where would you want USA to be weaker? I'd, I'd like them to dial back their edge rush ability against Notre Dame's offensive tackles. Yeah, yeah he, <laughs> no matter how, what progress Joe Alt is making as an 18-year-old, he was supposed to be the most promising scout team player of the year yes. that got some varsity snaps at the end. Instead, he's the guy that's got to hold down the fort. That's, that's rough on him coming forward. Yeah, it is, and whether it's, whether it's Jackson, if he's healthy enough, or Foreman, those guys are flying off the edge. Now, you know, they've been gashed up the middle, too, so – uh, if Nordame's offense can continue to progress, there's some yards to be made. But that looks like a high-scoring game as long as Nordame can 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 um, can score at a higher rate than we've become accustomed to here in the first half of the season. Now we go segment two coming up, burning up the boards. The Indiana Whiskey Company in South Bend, Indiana, delivers great whiskey at honest prices. Founded in 2011 by Notre Dame alumni and military veterans. The company set out to prove that Indiana has everything needed to make a world-class whiskey. The Indiana Whiskey Company has been producing whiskey, and only whiskey, for eight years running. And they want you to know they're getting pretty good at it. If you are in town for a game, visit the distillery for some pre-game cocktails and a bottle of whiskey for your tailgate. For more information, go to ionwhiskey.com. Cheers, and go Irish! Segment two, burning up the boards. Nails to B asks, if you were the head coach of Notre Dame, who would you start at quarterback and left tackle against USC? I mean, we have too much evidence to the contrary that it, you wouldn't choose Cone to start and Buckner to be his support system in the running game at quarterback. It, now we'd just be banging our heads if we're screaming for Drew Pine. He apparently <laughs> does not play well enough in practice to be ahead of these guys, right? Right. Yeah, apparently. And, you know, there were some accuracy issues the, the last time he played, even though he played, did some really, really good things. Um, and a mental error on fourth down. Yeah, that too. I, you know, there's a lot of that, the intricacies of offensive play that that's, that's one example that came to light because Pete, you asked about it, but um, I'm sure there are many more. Um, so who would you start a quarterback, Pete? Cone. I wouldn't think twice about it. Yeah. And I, yeah, well, the bottom line is Brian Kelly isn't thinking twice about it. So, you know, I'm done, I'm done debating that because I, you know, um, the coach has spoken and that's the direction that he's going to go. And it doesn't really, we, we aren't seeing practices. So uh, yeah, I have a hard time believing that Drew Pine's that inaccurate, although 
you guys can remember, I mean, some of the stuff that we saw from the spring and some of the preseason practices we saw, he had a lot of passes knocked down. Um, and I don't know that we saw the accuracy issues to the extreme that we saw in a couple passes against Cincinnati, but look, the head coach and the coaching staff and the offensive coordinator have made a decision. I don't think there's any, there is no question at left tackle either. You, you have no. to stick, nor should there be any question about who starts at left guard. Christophic in the line functioned way too well in the comeback against Virginia tech to look anywhere. It may, as many problems as we had that Nordame has had on the offensive line, you can't even, you can't even think about anything but Alt Christophic on the left side. Can you? No, and he, he, and he won't, but we, we do need to bring up what Kelly said post game. Like he offered, that's the Jack Cone we see in practice. Three step drop, get it out, get it out, get it out. Accurate, accurate, accurate. Like clearly that's what they see in practice from Jack Cone because he has been steadfast in starting Jack Cone and not going to pine until he absolutely had to. Right. Yes. Right. And, and, and practice does count. I mean, it just does. Anybody that's anybody that's ever coached has to put a strong emphasis on what happens uh, on game day as well, but on the practice field too. Irish John M. Do you know how hard the staff lobbied Aaron Banks to return for another year by enticing him with the left tackle role? I know he was a second round pick, but he's struggling to get on the field for the Niners. I believe the offensive line would have performed much better out of the gate with Banks at left tackle. It probably would have made him a first round pick. Thoughts? Well, that was, I mean, there was no doubt. I, I don't know how hard they lobbied. I didn't witness any of those conversations, but we certainly know that the carrot was dangled there for, for left tackle. And I agree it would help a lot. It would have been a very big help. Yeah. Yeah, it would have it would have helped a lot. He's also uh, on a four-year, seven million dollar contract. So a little difficult to be like, well, why don't you think you should have come back and played for free? Um, so whether he's uh, on Michigan, the field or not, he's still getting paid at the moment. Mission barbecue, Pete, it is no longer free. Just wanted to yeah. point that out for the offensive line. But yeah, it would have helped it's a that? lot. I mean, what happened? We, what happened? Mission barbecue. They have a they have an NIL. They're all set. You don't need to go to the Niners. You can just stay. Tell Jarrett Patterson that. Oh, Mission Barbecue will pay saying. enough. Uh, it's fine. Now that's um, an enticement. <laughs> yeah, Banks would have helped a lot. I mean, we wrote that last year. Most important guy, Tommy Tremble is number two. And Tommy Tremble scoring touchdowns and doing well also. Yeah, and if, if Banks returns and Fisher stays healthy, you know, I think you could safely project that that Blake Fisher was going to be getting better all the time if, if healthy. So, he could you know, have been I mean, the starting left guard, Blake Fisher. Yeah, I, I, well, I, you know, I really think, I mean, I think long term, uh, Fisher was a better left tackle prospect than Banks. But you think, but short, not, yeah, if it they been got a, Aaron Banks back, right, they it would have been a short term. Yeah, that would have been a short term situation. Yeah. So, uh, not Jay Tafel. Which player has the biggest? Which player has been the biggest surprise, and which has been the biggest disappointment? I don't mm. We just went over surprise uh, offline, and mine was Drew Pine. I had Drew Pine rated below Buckner in our preseason countdown, which is only you know for this year's, which is only for this year. So everybody would say, "Well, of course I ranked Buckner ahead of Pine." No, that's only for this year, and I had him below Buckner. So Pine won a game for Notre Dame, um, and I was definitely on the Drew Pine train for starting another before he didn't start or play. So he is the biggest surprise for me. I, I, Cam Hart is probably my biggest surprise player. Um, <laughs> as much as the coaches talked him up during spring and fall, like we weren't really there to see it. No, so right. to be there to see it on Saturdays, and you know, it was like, yeah, he hasn't been perfect, but he's been, I think, really good. Um, so he'd be my biggest positive surprise. I, JD Bertrand, I mean, I, I thought he was a good player. I, I thought when he came in, he would play well. I think that he's played above that. I think, um, you know, he, the, the erosion of, of his body, I think we've seen a little bit in the last couple of weeks, specifically against Cincinnati. And then Joe Alt, I, you know, we knew that they were really high on Joe Alt, but I mean, he's been better than Tosh Baker. He's been better, better than Michael Carmody. Um, and he's just, you know, a freshman offensive lineman that was a year ago now, 
was he 240, 250? I mean, I'm sure he was trending up at that time, but he's done a really good job. And now here we are sitting saying he's the hands down starter at left tackle moving forward with two other guys that have actually started. So um, those, those guys come to mind. We're surprised in a bad way. I mean, the offensive line as a unit is nowhere, was nowhere near as good as we thought it could be. And we didn't think it was going to be that great. I thought it would, we thought it'd be the weakness of the offense, but it would be a functionally fine line that would highlight better skill players. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, it's like, in some ways it's, if you, if you wanted to say Chris Tyree based on stats, I could, I could hear out your argument, but the reason you would even mention Chris Tyree is because of what you just said, O'Malley, the offensive line can't get him loose. Yeah, and so that's where the disappointment is. And I don't like that we talk about these guys all the time. We, we point out the bad things all the time. So to single them out saying this guy is the most disappointing. But, I mean, the guard play has been – it's just been bad. It, it, it's, it forced a change in the lineup uh, at left guard against Virginia Tech that you would assume will continue in place. I actually – I thought, I thought uh, the Virginia Tech game was Madden's best game. Uh, I did too. Oh, I did too. You know, so that's progress. Lug is Lug was very disappointing early on. Seems to be making progress. So, I mean, I guess most of the guys that I would mention would be from the offensive line. And then that's I think the- if you go, Tim, if you go, <laughs> to be fair, let's be fair. Dude, I did not expect any of these long this long play situation and and long drives by the defense. But we're not we're not looking at one player right here. But did you think like Virginia Tech going to that game would have more ten yard gains than any opponent Notre Dame had all year? In game six, I thought the Notre Dame's defense had turned the corner that way, and they give up. They're not as good as I thought they would be. Yeah, I don't know. They're not I as mean, good as can, I thought they would be. Are, you can you absorb, what, the defense as a whole? Yeah. 38, 38 points in a win. 29 in a win. 22 if you don't count the touch, which you don't count the interception touchdown. 24 in a loss. I guess that was really more like a 21-pointer since he handed us the points, but I – I thought they would be nationally elite, not Georgia's level, but I thought they'd be a top 10 defense. Hmm. Yeah, I guess we should have expected, especially early on. Probably should have. When you're that aggressive, you're, you're going to, there's going to be some holes on the back end of it. Um, you know, I, 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 that's really difficult to avoid. I will say this, and I, I think I brought a couple times well in the past, that keep in mind that the first defense, and I realize it was his first year as a coordinator, but the first Cincinnati defense that Marcus Freeman had was they weren't unsteady. They were bad. I mean, they were 78th in the country. They, they gave up a ton, and then everything turned around in the second year. I'm not sure that it's that easy to just press that button next year, especially when you think about who they will lose and could possibly lose. But um, – yeah, it's it's the you know it's the it's the four play seventy five yard drives. It's the five play eighty six yard drives that. Yeah, I mean, I'm grading on a curve you. here, but I mean the, on the curve they're not as I know they're out on the field more. They they have to be heroic, and they've just been good. How's that? Yeah, SD Irish fan, pick a player that you feel is most likely to have a breakout second half of the season. Does Kyron Williams count? No, no. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Because if not, he's my pick. So. Uh, let's see. MTA count. Yes. All right. I'll take MTA. He's been trending well. He's not breaking out. I mean, he leads the team in hurries. He, I think he's coming off the edge. Yeah. I, that, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't even be a guy that would come to mind for me. I know. I'm uh, saying yeah, I'm like he at, goes for becomes like a top five player is my kind of okay. Saying. Okay. Well, that's fair. I was looking at more young guys. I mean, if you know, turf toes can linger, and Diggs, I thought Diggs hit the ground running. I mean, he looked comfortable on the field. Uh, he caught a pass. He would he have 29 yards rushing on six carry? I, I just thought he looked very comfortable. I could see him um, moving up. You know, and eventually Notre Dame's going to face an opponent where JD Bertrand could come off the field and we're gonna and Prince Colley's gonna get a chance to to play. And I could see him looking pretty impressive you know in a 28 point game or a 21 point game if they can get to that level moving forward. I'll go uh, I'll go Riley Mills, like been high on him since he was in high school. Um, and you know, he flashed a little bit of Florida State 
and then just kind of receded a little bit. But I, you know, second half, strong second half of the season for him in rotation with the other guys that they have. I could, I could see him having a really strong uh, October, November. I think he's been more impactful uh, recently. I thought he was particularly um, impactful against. Was it Wisconsin or Cincinnati? Those are kind of running together for me a little bit. Yeah, Cincy, I believe. But he's, you know, he's coming on, and it's um, it's just difficult to get him on a field when when Jason Adamiola is playing as well as well as he is. Would you guys push back against Buckner here? No. No, I wouldn't. No, because you know what what he was given and what he succeeded with could be a real breakthrough. You know, the the Virginia Tech game. Um. I, I, you know, I expect him, I think we all expect him to be a quick study once he gets the playing experience and the, you know, the, the on the job training that, that he's getting. I think the more he plays, I guess you can say this about everybody, but the more he plays, I can see him getting exponentially better. It's the reading of coverages that that kind of stuff isn't going to happen overnight. You got to have a million snapshots in your head from practices and games in order to fully grasp that. And, um, you know, it's, he's a true freshman. I have a hard time remembering true freshman because one, the expectations that were placed on him when he signed with Notre Dame and two, he was here in the spring. And so you kind of, those guys, you, you tend to don't think as freshmen when the fall rolls around. Is Tony Crapful? Is that how he says it? K R A P F L. Tony Crapful. I don't know. <laughs> given the given the slow offensive start, so it makes sense to elect to kick to open the game. You know, I've never been. Uh, I, I've never commented on this much because Brian Kelly wants to take the opening kickoff and he wants to go down and score and he wants to take an early lead and make the other team play from behind. Having said that, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> I mean, I agree. <laughs> I'm with you. I just, you know, I don't. I, I think it's um, – have we ever – I mean, has he ever given a, a specific answer about why he does that? Has he ever been He's asked, been asked about it a couple of times, but I don't – I don't know that he's ever fully answered it to – I think the – I mean, the answer is just, like, because he wants to. Um, I don't I, – I never really quite understood the – why, like, why deferring is better. I don't – I don't – well, it's because the, if you like six of one half dozen of the other. Well, because if you're if you have a really good defense like they've had for several years, you start with you better make, field you, you, Yeah, you make the other team start at the twenty five, and you hold them to a three and out. Man, you're starting at their you're starting at your own forty yard line. Yeah, but and like, that's the same. I mean, the, but that I can't. That that just happens in the second half instead. Well, the last two games have illustrated part of the reason you do it, and that's why the NFL likes it. And I know it's different than college, but Cincinnati got a touchdown at the end of the half and the ball and Virginia tech got a field goal at the end of the half and the ball and scored a touchdown. Like it's the back-to-back possession thing that people want. The thing oh, is yeah. in, that in, again. in college, it's harder because they're not automatically driving down the field and scoring, getting three points. Like the yeah. NFL, you just need a couple first downs and someone drills a 56 yarder. <laughs> it's, it's like, a, I like, it's a like that's to me, that's the reason to do it is like, if you're playing a bigger picture strategy with, the, how you want the end of the first half to go paired with the start of the second half. Like the slow starts thing. I just, the, Florida state, they went down and scored Cincinnati. They went down right. to like the goal line and they just throw a pick. Like they have plenty of fast starts. Shannon Paris, whether the defense plays well or poorly, the results are usually attributed to Marcus Freeman. When the offense struggles, the position coaches are blamed and not Reese. Why? Uh, that's I disagree with the perception that Reese is not blamed when the offense plays. I for think him. he's talking about us, not the fans, because there's no way he doesn't know that Reese is blamed more than any human being on the <laughs> yeah. planet no, you're for right. noting shortcomings this yeah, year. He right. means he means us, I think. Well, if I, you show up to any board in the world, Tommy Reese is blamed for things. So I, I think that, I mean, my first answer is that everything depends upon line play. And we knew going into the season that Marcus Freeman had a deep veteran defensive line. And the flip side is this offensive line has played so poorly. How in the world, I, I mean, I just, how do you call plays when your offensive line is a sieve? How do you call plays? when the guy that you determine is the best quarterback for the job is immobile. How do you call plays when 
you're playing Cincinnati and your whiteouts can't get off press. I, and, and play calling offensively and defensively is completely different from one another. I mean, you know, one is one playbook is so vast offensively and then defense. It's just, that's just way different, but <laughs> I, I, I think that Tommy Reese has generally done a good job in five out of six games. I, I know a lot of people disagree with that. Um, and, and I, I try to, if you go back, I did, I use, I think I used the word masterful on Monday and that offended some people. Go back and look at the formations, the personnel, and the variety of plays that were called when Tyler Buckner was in the game. It was really impressive. Not, not necessarily, and you don't always base it necessarily upon the result of the play, and I get it. The end result is the bottom line. But there are good calls that don't end up being productive for you. I thought what he did with Tyler Buckner, who created the running game? Yeah, the offensive line got more push, but I think Tommy Reese did had a lot to do with creating the running game against Virginia Tech. Michael Mayer didn't play in the game for all those formations to point out. There's as well. that too. There's that too. Uh, but we didn't answer the question because the offense didn't struggle. We liked the offense last game. So Cincinnati, we actually said that we thought Tommy Reese struggled. Right, we all to a man. Uh, we said the Nordane was. We said the Nordane was thoroughly outcoached yeah. in all aspects. Um, yeah, but I, <laughs> we're not going to change the minds of people that don't want Tommy Reese. No matter how many examples that we cite, we're not we're not going to change that. And I and I, you know, we will continue to do what we always do, and that is evaluate each game at face value and the situation and what he's doing and the defense are going against and all the numerous factors that come into play uh, as to whether an offensive play caller is doing a good job or not. Irish from A2. Is Urban Meyer the coach of USC next year? I included this because I wanted to, to comment on a member of the media that, that said as soon as the news on Urban Meyer broke that you know, he was going to get fired or he wouldn't be in the NFL for long. And then the, all of college football will be lining up to hire urban Meyer. I don't believe that that's true. I think that that might've been true a year ago or two, two years ago, or certainly any time before that. But I think urban Meyer's coaching career, uh, I, I don't know whether, I don't know whether he's going to survive this season or what have you, but I don't believe college football is going to be lining up for Urban Meyer, no matter how good he is. Maybe Pete, I think you mentioned in SEC school, maybe in the SEC, but I don't. The environment that we live in today in this country now, in 2021, I don't know how you can hire Urban Meyer. Oh, I mean, you can hire him because he wins a bunch of games. Um, and well, no, I understand that part. Yeah, but that's the fallout I, from it is you could hire so him at a bunch of places in the South but that's a pretty limited geographic footprint. I think that'd be willing to just do whatever it takes to win football games. I don't, I don't think USC is in that boat. They're not, they're not in a position to just hire the best, what could be perceived as the best guy and just roll with whatever negative fallout comes with it. No, I think like, look, I mean, urban Meyer, it's like, even if things were going well in Jacksonville, he's clearly on the downside of his career. You're not hiring the Urban Meyer that was at Florida or even the Urban Meyer at Florida yeah. State. You're getting almost like a retread version of himself. Do you think Urban Meyer will coach in college in 2023? I do. But not at USC. But not at USC. That was his question. Yeah. He's, he's concerned about USC, and I don't blame him. They're on the running schedule. Yeah, and I think Urban Meyer has a better chance of being a head coach. I, he still is, but obviously he still is, and Gruden is not. But Urban Meyer has a much better chance of yeah. being a head coach than John Gruden. No doubt about it yeah. for me. Wreckers 33 hot. Could you place the freshmen into two categories, varsity contributors or scout teamers and red shirts? Additionally, any behind-the-scenes buzz on the freshmen? I think the, the, the buzz is about Prince Colley. That, that would be the first guy that I, that comes to mind for me. I want to, yeah, yeah. Mark, I, I mean, these are pretty, this is, this is pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? I mean, yeah. 
but, uh, but they probably want to know about the corners and some of those guys that are okay. But you know, uh, but yeah. like as far as as far as uh, varsity contributors, right. um, there's Butner, there's Colsey, there's Lorenzo Styles, there's Logan Diggs, Justin Walters on special teams. The team wrong. Game Barong is in now. He'll play at least three more games out. At least played one probably, right? Since they're down. Uh, yeah, I feel like Kim Barong will be a four-game redshirt. A four-game redshirt guy, yeah. I bet Rock uh, will be a four-game redshirt. I think there's a knee situation with him that it, I, it, it obviously must have come against Virginia Tech. I think there's a knee situation there that – For who? For, for Kim Barong that, that could preclude that. him. I didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other varsity guys, Joe Alt, of course. Uh, Blake Fisher would have been. Right. Kane Barong was, would have been. Mitchell Evans, obviously, is involved now. And then the other ones are, I mean, pretty self-explanatory. Ron Paulus third, Ryan Barnes, Chance Tucker, JoJo Johnson with the injury. Uh, Audrick Estime is kind of in between. He's playing on special teams, but hasn't, uh, you know, now that Logan Diggs has emerged a running back, I'm not sure that there's room. Kari G. Um, He's a prep team. Yeah. yeah. Kia. Yeah. Is Kia? He hasn't played he, in a while. Yeah, that he only played one, he, yeah. yeah. He only played one game. Schweitzer's hurt. Spindler obviously is, uh, you know, he, Spindler, we could see him playing four games, but he's, you know, he's for the future. Caleb Johnson, Pat Coogan. Sure uh, seems Gabe, like um, Jaden Thomas is redshirting in scout Jayden team. Jaden Thomas. Yeah, yeah Jaden Thomas. Travel. Right. So, I, I mean, I think those are pretty uh, pretty self-evident at this point. Irish from A2. Which of these players will be on the roster next year? Let's start with Kevin Austin. Pass. Pardon me? <laughs> I want to pass. Until we go later. Yeah. <laughs> I think he will be on the roster next year for the first time ever. Pete. I don't I don't know. That's why I pass. See, you want to pass yeah. too. <laughs> All right, I'll my... say I'll say yes. Uh Brayden Lindsay. Pass. Uh, what, what are you doing? I don't. I don't. I don't this is a hard. This is our one, podcast. It's live. Jack, are you recording? Line. It's, 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 okay. What does Michael Scott say? Line. Yeah. Um. I just got. I mean, I don't. I think he'll be back. Was he going to grad transfer to Oregon? Hmm. That's interesting. I'll say no. Where do you think he'll be? Or are you just going with percentages? Yes, no percentage. That's allowed. You're allowed to just be smart and say no. But do you have a – he's not going pro. No. That, 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 it was, when we talked to him early in the season, or was it maybe late August, he said the plan was to have a great year and go pro. And, and um, neither, neither are happening. But, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, he should. I mean, it, but I, I'm just – I'm not sure that he chooses to stay at Notre Dame. You know, I don't know. Okay, so I'm, I'm passing too. Jason Adam Alola. <laughs> Gone. I think is probably no. yeah too good to to yeah. stay. Uh, Kyron Williams is gone. Uh, no, yeah, definitely gone. Not. And if he were to come back, they would tell him to leave for his own yeah. health and yeah. well being. Yeah. You're not allowed to return. You're not allowed yeah. to return. Yeah. Do you really think they'd say that? Um, <laughs> I I I think you got to consider. Well, no, because he's a true junior, so no, you wouldn't. It's not like he's a senior yeah. um, when he'd already had. Yeah, but yeah. I would. I, uh, no, I'm just saying that if Kyron Williams would, said, yeah. "Hey, got, hey, coach, I want to come back next year," supposedly Quentin Nelson said he wanted to come back, and was discouraged not to, but yeah, like discouraged a, not to by BK. Yeah, like that. You can't do that, man. I'm sorry. That's like your your money is <laughs> your top five. Pick. Okay. You doing? All right. How about Drew Pine? Yes, yeah. back. I say I yes. Uh, yeah, next let's just, year. Let's, not any not any year. Next year. That's I say yes. Yeah, next year. let's let's mm-hmm. let, we'll have to wait and see on that. John Doerr is on this list, but he doesn't have another year. No, yeah. this is his super, yeah. yeah. Uh Jarrett Patterson. You know, I think at the end of the day, Jarrett Patterson realizes that he's one of the top centers in the country and and decides yeah. to leave. I I'd say leaves. I say he leaves much more so than I say Austin leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Tariq Bracy should come back. I don't think he would be back. Yeah, I believe he'll be back. The next one is 
Yeah, man. Isaiah Foskey. I think he's back. I don't I think, think he will return. Yeah. And I think he'll get I think he'll benefit greatly from returning and be a higher pick, much higher pick and make a lot more money. I hope that you are correct. He's one of the few guys that coming back really, really helps. Like Kevin Austin needs to come back to get drafted almost, and he can become a second day pick. Isaiah Fossey can become a first round pick. Yeah, but he's on pace for 13 sacks. This I year. don't think they carry he's on pace for six, 13 oh. sacks as much as everything about him. Right? Okay, like, but can, can you not put together a highlight film of Isaiah Foskey right now, I- including his sack against Virginia Tech, where yeah. he was on one side of the field, stopped, changed directions, and made the sack on the other side of the field? I mean, I, you know, I, I hope you're right. I, I just I just wonder if his body of work after 13 games is just going to be – Pretty extremely good. Drew White, we don't think he's coming back. No, they're ready to he's go. A, yeah, he's a fifth-year guy. And then MTA is a fifth-year guy as well. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he moved um, to the end so he could have a better shot at the pros. Right. And right I now. think, you know, I, I think his I think his length and quickness is playing really, really well. I think the name that's missing is not Drew White. It's Bo Bauer is the one. And I think he'll go. But at least he has a fifth year coming to him. Yeah. All right, let's pick up the pace as we uh, go down the home stretch here. Indy 101-2, what will the coaches focus on most during the bye week? And the bye week, the practice part of the bye week ends today, Thursday. Recruiting. I mean, half the coaches aren't even here. So yeah. it, it's been – when you go out to practice and, the co- and your position coach is not in attendance, that tells you what they're focusing on. They're focusing on – Finding the next you. So that's yeah. the focus is recruiting. I think I think bye weeks are a, a little misunderstood. Now the young guys that haven't played, you can let them hit all you want all week. But yeah. you're not going to you're not going to hit with any of your frontline players during a bye week. This is about, like you said, recruiting with the coaches. If anything, you're, you're going to double down on film study this week. Yeah, Kyron Williams said he does he's gonna turn off his football brain completely. Right. Doesn't want to be near the field. I would assume anybody banged up at all is getting time off. The scout team guys that we just started reading off probably had some pretty busy practice week yeah. this week, right? No. But this and, is uh, about BK told us <laughs> you you can't get that much done in a three and a half day bye week in terms of on the field. He says all of a sudden you look up and it's Thursday and it's over and the guys are going home. And you, yes, want, you want them to heal physically and mentally. Yeah. I, it, 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 I can't even imagine how taxing it is to be an undergrad going to class all week and then having to turn, you know, having to turn it on for Brian Kelly's preaching, you know, one play at a time every day in practice. And it's about getting healthy and, and, and letting your mind rest a little bit. But if you're talking about anything, and again, I think it's, you do this with film study. That that's how you try to correct these things, and I, if anything, red zone offense, you have something to build upon. That's good. Yeah. Offensive pace, I think that might be something early in the week. It's like okay, let's work on the pacing that we had with Jack Cohn in the second half of the fourth quarter against Virginia Tech. Pete and I have never not joked about this. The bye week coming at a good time. We always every everybody always says it comes at a good time. Notre Dame played six consecutive games. In six weeks, where it came down to the fourth quarter, and that includes Purdue. Mentally, Ten minutes left. They're exhausting. That's exhausting to cover this team. I can't yeah. imagine playing on it. Yeah, that's rest mentally time. and physically. All right, last question from our buddy Dan Ernst, six-time caller, longtime listener, and I have all six questions uh, saved to to prove it. Will fall full <laughs> with fall foliage comes growth and change. What growth? would you like to see during the second half of the season? I've, I've always associated uh, the leaves turning with colors with death. So yeah. I'm not sure that <laughs> growth comes with leaves rotting on your lawn. Um, but to, to answer the question, what growth would I like to see? I mean, I would like to see the freshman class of, Diggs, Colsey, Styles, Alt, Buckner, like the offensive freshmen show growth where you are more confident on December 1st than you are on October 15th that you have the bones for like the next great Notre Dame team. 
not necessarily not saying like that you'll be favored going to Columbus next year, but grow in 2022, really, really good in 2023. Like 23 is a playoff type season, yeah. but like, show me that you've got the bones for that uh, over the next six games. There's Realistically. Nothing, yeah. Go ahead, Tim. Well, there's nothing that can happen this season where Notre Dame's anything but an underdog at Ohio state next year. Nothing. Even if you, I mean, you know, but whatever, go ahead, Tim. Realistically, I'm with Pete. I would like to even bring it down a little bit. Joe Alt, Tyler Buckner, Logan Diggs. I would like to, at the end of the year, be like, whoa, they have something there because Joe Alt will be necessary in some way on one side. Logan Diggs might be one B to Chris Tyree next year then. And mm-hmm. Tyler Buckner needs to be your starting quarterback. So I'd love to come out of November thinking to myself, wow, did they grow in the last six games? Unrealistically, I'd like to be able to see Notre Dame run the ball with just Jack Cohn and not have to sub for him to be able to gain seven yards on handoffs. Who would have, who would have believed that Joe Alt would be above Spindler? Well, I mean, the different positions, but even Caleb Johnson, who came in as a pretty accomplished left tackle. I, you know, I, I, you just want to see the chemistry, the all line grow. And you hope that the five that, that ended the game last Saturday can be the five moving forward. That would be progress. Uh, Pete, I agree with you that the freshmen that are close to making a more sig- significant contribution, hopefully there's some playing time out there where they can accumulate some, where Deion Colsey can, can catch seven balls, you know, over the last half of the season. I, I don't even know how realistic that is, but, uh, and then they, you know, I don't know how exactly you do this, but the quick strike, quick strike offense against Notre Dame's defense is just something that has to, uh, it has to improve, but, uh, no shortcuts, no, uh, you know, no significant progress on the field during a bye week. That's just not how they handle it anymore. Um, so, Hey, we'll start taking a, a deeper look at USC next week, beginning on Monday. We appreciate you joining us here for Irish Illustrated Insider. Enjoy your bye week. I know we will. Thanks for joining us.